0: It was a cold October morning in Wilson, Kentucky, when the mutilated body of Nancy Lowe was found on the side of the road. Although some suspects were investigated, no one has been held responsible for the death of my cousin. It is my hope that this podcast will bring us closer to finding Nancy's killer nearly 10 years later. At approximately 7.30 p.m., Officer Avery had supervised the collection of security videotape taken from Paul Swan's security system. Nearly 200 hours worth of footage from 18 different cameras had been transported to police headquarters and was being investigated for video evidence of Paul Swan's wrongdoing. I've spoken with many of the officers and cadets who looked over the footage and shifts. One cadet at the time is now Lieutenant Evelyn Turn. She volunteered to watch security video of Swan's backyard fence, which neighbored the Wilson Woods. The following is a quote from Lieutenant Turn about her experience looking over those tapes. I think I watched the security footage for two days. I can see the field. There was an old birdbath in the top left corner with dead grass around it. The brown fence on the right had a gate with rusted loose hinges leading to the woods. I remember it moving in the wind and I would jump every single time. Mentally preparing myself to see him or her. I knew Nancy pretty well. I met her when she was volunteering at the station. I think she was even a sub for my brother's class, so imagining there was a possibility that I would see her. That was worse than anything I actually saw. It's like I was birdwatching for a harpy. Paul Swan arrived home at around 8.16 p.m., hours after the warrant for his arrest had been issued. The arresting officer, Philip Oral, is on record saying that Mr. Swan began screaming accusations at the police department and spitting. He was arrested and taken in for questioning. Paul Swan has maintained four things over the last decade 1. He was on a hunting trip in Mississippi from Thursday, October 2nd to Tuesday, October 7th. 2. He had never met Nancy Lowe. 3. Officer Hallievery's blind hatred allowed Nancy's killer to run free. 4. Having a missing garden instrument isn't a crime. Officer Oral said that on the way to the station, Mr. Swan got very quiet and red. He sat in the back of the police car, staring at his feet and blinking excessively. He remained quiet as he was brought into the station and brought into an interrogation room, where he was questioned by Officer Albert Ross and supervised by Chief of Police Richard J. They asked him about Nancy, about where he was the night of October 3rd, and what the letters under the rocks were supposed to mean. They even wrote out the letters under the rocks and tried making anagrams for him to see his response. Officer Oral has stated that the only thing he heard from Mr. Swan after the arrest was a stuttering demand for his lawyer. His lawyer finally arrived at 1 a.m. on October 8th, and Mr. Swan's alibi was revealed. Paul Swan has stated that he left Wilson on October 2nd to go dove hunting in Hell Creek, Mississippi. Because of Mr. Swan's fear of flying, he reportedly drove the six hours from Wilson to Hell Creek in two days. He made a dinner stop in Nashville, Tennessee, before stopping for the night in Jackson, Tennessee. Paul Swan would then arrive in Hell Creek at noon on October 3rd and was last seen having a meal at a local diner at 3 p.m. He is unaccounted for for the night of Nancy's murder, but was seen at a sporting goods store on October 4th at 9 a.m. buying ammo. Many have speculated that these nearly 18 hours would be plenty of time for Paul Swan to take the trip back to Wilson, kill and dismember Nancy around midnight, and then drive back to Hell Creek to make the 9 a.m. sporting goods visit. Many also suspected this 9 a.m. sporting goods appearance was purposefully orchestrated in order to make his alibi seem credible. Many wonder why Paul Swan would even need to buy more ammo just a day after arriving in Hell Creek. But without any motive for this nearly 400-mile journey to murder a woman he had reportedly never met, Mr. Swan was released, due to lack of any physical evidence, by 8 a.m. that day. Paul Swan had spent 12 hours in police custody and seemingly escaped murder charges. Officer Avery was investigating the scene of the crime when he heard over the radio that Mr. Swan had been let go. The officers that were helping Avery investigate the woods attempted to offer words of support to calm him down. Avery was visibly upset, and many expected him to do something rash. Instead, he passed out, either due to shock or exhaustion. It was upon waking that Officer Avery found the bike. As the story goes, he was lying on the ground near where Nancy's body had been found when he was revived by his fellow officers. He looked up at the officers at first, but then noticed something high up in the trees. It seemed to be moving and oddly shaped. At first, Avery thought it was a creature, but after using binoculars, they realized it was Nancy's bicycle hanging on the branches of the tree. Suddenly, the anagram made sense. B-I-L-M-N-O-S On limbs. They attempted to use a cherry picker to bring it down, but the ground was too uneven and the trees too close to allow the cherry picker to maneuver through the woods. Eventually, One of the officers had to climb the tree and bring down the bicycle by hand. It was definitely Nancy's. It was slightly bent and blue and had her white basket she had woven herself positioned between the handlebars. Inside the basket, they found Nancy's clothes. The clothes were the same that Nancy had worn to my birthday party. They were wet from exposure, torn, and covered in blood. They were also covered in owlfly larvae. When the officers removed the clothes from the basket, they realized something was wrapped inside of them. They unfurled the clothes, and inside was a pager and a cell phone. An LG secret, specifically. The officers were able to turn the pager on, showing numerous identical messages that said three words. Meet at nest. After they charged the phone, they found much of the information had been wiped, except for an audio recording. This audio recording. The bell. The elf line. It's rude. Through the Although the data had been wiped off the phone, the SIM card still carried the owner's information. It belonged to Ryan Faulkner, Nancy's boyfriend at the time. Ryan always acted like he was the smartest person in Wilson, and he just might have been. He was in his early 30s and worked as a psychiatrist for the entire city. I'm not sure if he got into psychiatry in order to genuinely help people, but I assume years of hearing the sins of Wilson had made him somewhat cynical and conceited. I remember Nancy saying what she liked about Ryan was his blue eyes and his honesty. If I'm being honest... Both kind of creep me out. He maintains a personal doctrine of never lying to anyone, stating, and I quote, If I am to expect my patients to impart their truths unto me, I wish to maintain a life of complete honesty, both in and out of my office. To wit, it is imperative that we meditate on this simple lesson. Spreading untruths in order to maintain peacefulness is ill-gotten peace and will only lead to delayed disappointment and heartache. So when the police tracked down Ryan Faulkner at his place of business and asked him where he was the night of Nancy's murder, why his phone was found at the scene of the crime, and what his relationship was like with Nancy, they got the blunt truth. On the night of October 3rd, Ryan got into a physical altercation at a local bar called the Crow's Nest while attempting to pick up women. Apparently, Ryan had hit on a woman while her boyfriend was in the bathroom and accused the woman of lying to him about not being in a relationship when her boyfriend returned. This spawned a fight between Ryan and the boyfriend, a boy named Brock Stevenson. Not only is there a record of the police breaking up a fight at the crow's nest at that night at around 11.30pm, the woman working the bar remembered Ryan asking her to call the police from their landline. Furthermore, no one at the bar the night of October 3rd remembers Ryan using a cell phone. The woman Ryan hit on, Rhea Frost, reportedly mentioned that Ryan actually asked her to write her number down on a napkin rather than enter it directly into his cell phone. Ryan stated that he had lost his phone earlier that day and could not account for its location after around 2 p.m. of October 3rd, as that was the last phone call he had remembered making. Phone records would later show that although there was a call placed at 2 p.m. from Ryan's cell phone, there were many texts placed from around 10 to 11 p.m. that night. Ryan then told the officers that he did recognize the number the phone had dialed between 10 and 11 p.m. It was his old pager. The officers asked Ryan where his pager was located. Ryan explained that he had given the pager to Nancy to keep in contact with her. The officers asked Ryan why he had gifted a pager to a girlfriend he was cheating with. Ryan responded that he didn't trust her. When asked why, Ryan said that Nancy was a habitual liar and constantly cheating on him. The officers asked Ryan who Nancy was cheating on him with. Ryan said he had caught Nancy cheating on him with Officer Hal Avery. I'd like to thank retired police chief Richard J for allowing me to borrow the audio recording and play it on this week's show. His help putting the events of this case together has been tremendous. Seriously, thanks again. Hmm. You know, we're all behind you with this, what you're doing. Just be careful. Don't be too hard on how. I have to present the facts. Right, you're right. Hey, in case I don't see you before then, y'all have a happy birthday.